Mildred Lawson, Chapter Nine of Celibates by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James Carson. We've come back," said Elsie. "We heard at the studio that you had gone away feeling ill, so we came on here to find out how you were." "Oh, it is nothing," said Mildred. "I've been working rather hard lately. That's all." "You should have come with us," said Cissy. "We've had an awfully jolly time." We'll go into the drawing room. Wait a minute till I find my slippers. Oh, don't trouble to get up. We only came to see how you were," said Elsie. But I'm quite well. There's really nothing the matter. It was only that I felt I couldn't go on working this afternoon. The model bored me, and it was so hot. It was very good of you to come and see me like this. We've had a jolly time and have done a lot of work. Elsie has done a girl weaving a daisy chain in a meadow. It is wonderful how she has got the sunlight on the grass. All our things are in the studio. You will see them tomorrow. I don't see why I shouldn't see them today. I'll dress myself. The account they gave of their summer outing was tantalizing to the tired and jaded girl. She imagined the hushed and shady places, the murmuring mystery of bird and insect life. She could see them going forth in the mornings with their painting materials, sitting at their easels under the tall trees, intent on their work, or lying on rugs spread in the shade, the blue smoke of cigarettes curling and going out, or later in the evening packing up easels and paint boxes and finding their way out of the forest. It was Elsie who did most of the talking. Sissy reminded her now and then of something she had forgotten, and when they turned into the passage des panoramas, Elsie was deep in an explanation of the folly of square brushwork. Both were converts to open brushwork. They had learnt it from a very clever fellow, an impressionist. All his shadows were violet. She did not hold with his theory regarding the division of the tones, at least not yet. Perhaps she would come to it in time. Mildred liked Elsie's lady in a white dress reading under a rhododendron tree in full blossom. Sissy had painted a naked woman in the garden sunshine. Mildred did not think that flesh could be so violet as that, but there was a dash and go about it that she felt she would never attain. It seemed to her a miracle, and in her admiration for her friend's work she forgot her own failure. The girls dined at the Bouillon de Val, and afterwards they went to the theatre together. Next morning they met, all three, in the studio. The model was interesting. Mildred caught the movement more happily than usual. Her friend's advice had helped her. But at least two years would have to pass before she would know if she had the necessary talent to succeed as an artist. For that while she must endure the drudgery of the studio in the boredom of evenings alone with Mrs. Fargus. She went out with Elsie and Sissy sometimes, but the men they introduced her to were not to her taste. She had seen no one who interested her in Paris, except perhaps Monsieur Deveau, that thick-set, black-bearded Southern, with his subtle Southern manner, had appealed to her in a way. But Monsieur Deveau had been ordered suddenly to Royan for gout and rheumatism and Mildred was left without anyone to exercise her attractions upon. 
She spent evening after evening with Mrs. Fargus until the cropped hair, the spectacles, above all, the black satin dress with the crimson scarf getting more and more twisted became intolerable. And Mr. Fargus's cough and his vacuous conversation, in which no shadow of an idea ever appeared, tried her temper. But she forbore, seeing how anxious they were to please her. That was the worst. These simple, kind-hearted people saw that their sitting-room bored Mildred, and they often took her for drives in the bois after dinner. Crazed with boredom, Mildred cast sidelong glances of hatred at Mrs. Fargus, who sat by her side a mute little figure lost in comp. Mr. Fargus's sallowed complexion face was always opposite her. He uttered commonplaces in a loud voice, and Mildred longed to fling herself from the carriage. At last, unable to bear with reality, she chattered, laughed, and told stories, and joked until her morose friends wondered at her happiness. Her friends were her audience. They sufficed to stimulate the histrionic spirit in her, and she felt pleased like an actor who has amused an audience which he despises. She had now been in Paris seven months, but she had seen little of Paris except the studio and the Bouillon de Val, where she went to breakfast with Elsie and Sissy. The spectacle of the boulevards, the trees and the cafés, always the same, had begun to weary her. Her health, too, troubled her a little. She was not very strong, and she had begun to think that a change would do her good. She would return to Paris in the spring. She would spend next summer in Barbizon. She was determined to allow nothing to interfere with her education, but for the moment she felt that she must go back to Sutton. Every day her craving for England grew more intolerable. She craved for England, for her home, for its food, for its associations. She longed for her own room, for her garden, for the trap. She wanted to see all the girls, to hear what they thought of her absence. She wanted to see Harold. At first his letters had irritated her. She had said that he wanted her to look after his house. She had argued that a man never hesitates to put aside a woman's education if it suits his convenience. But now it seemed to her that it would be unkind to leave Harold alone any longer. It was manifestly her duty to go home, to spend Christmas with him. She was only going to Sutton for a while. She loved France, and would certainly return. She knew now what Paris was like, and when she returned it would be alone, or in different company. Mrs. Fargus was very well, but she could not go on living with her forever. She would come in useful another time, but for the moment she could not go on living with her. She had become a sort of old man of the sea, and the only way to rid herself of her was by returning to England. An imperative instinct was drawing her back to England, but another instinct, equally strong, said, as soon as I am rested, nothing shall prevent me from returning to Paris. End of Mildred Lawson, Chapter 9, Recording by James Carson